the the fact that your location is probably being recorded very regularly at a regular interval that's kind of a scary thing that's theo pat he's a 19 year old freshman at stanford university I tracked him down at the Stanford Student Union on a sunny Friday afternoon in October, a few weeks after he started as a computer science undergrad. Hey, is that Theo? Hey. How are you? I'm all right. Ali? Nice to meet you in person. Nice to meet you too. All right. Here we are. He's a skinny, friendly kid with a nervous smile, bright eyes and pale skin. And when he was 15, he created a software program that I recently got interested in. The type of program Theo created is called a visualizer. It lets you upload your location data from Google. Then the program lays that information over a map so you can see everywhere you've been in minute detail. Theo said the idea first came to him in a geography class. We were talking a lot about kind of people and migration patterns and where they go. And and I guess that coupled with somehow stumbling upon an article about uh, Google Takeout and how Google is recording this data about you kind of put two and two together and wanted to look at myself and my kind of microcosm of migration patterns. Google is constantly collecting incredibly detailed information on our movements. And Google Takeout, which Theo just mentioned, is an easy way to download your information from Google. Theo already knew how to code. He thought it would be cool to see his own movements displayed on a map. Initially, Theo put a basic program online and hundreds of thousands of people tried it out. He soon made a pro version, which has been used often in ways Theo never intended. Jealous lovers snooping on their partner's whereabouts, employers tracking their staff, even police and government agencies have taken an interest. Hi, I'm Pia Gadkari. And I'm Alastair Barr. And this week on Decrypted, we're exploring the unintended consequences of the systems that monitor our own location data. As a society, we've consented to creating a detailed record of our every step and entrusted it to Google, a private company. Theo thought his maps would help people create digital keepsakes of fond memories and records for traveling business people. But our location data is more powerful than many of us realize and it can be used in surprising ways. We'll hear from one father who tried to use Theo's map tool to prove his daughter's innocence after she was charged with a string of burglaries, but it didn't turn out well. Stay with us. So Ali, let's get back to the day when you and Theo met at Stanford. Well, we found a conference room where we sat down to chat. Foosball table, right. of course. Fully uh, decked out. So I think this, is, this building is like kind of headquarters. Of and Theo told me how it all began. He grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and even though he dislikes the term, he's a digital native, born in the internet era and embedded in tech most of his waking hours. Like a lot of kids, Theo got into software coding by building websites. I made my dad a website. I made myself a website. I made my friends a website. I was making a lot of websites uh, back in elementary school. Then he worked on Wikipedia, helping create software that spots people making stuff up and correcting it. His talents were spotted by the local Memphis TV station, CW30 News. 
Welcome back. We count on apps for just about everything. Banking, communicating, waking us up in the morning. And we learned it takes a lot of code. Yeah, that's computer language for, you know, get those programs to function the way that they should. And White Station High's Theo Pat, our local cool kid, knows all about it because he's creating several apps, even helping lawyers build their cases. Here's CW30's Acre, John Paul. Then Theo had his mapping idea in that geography class. He'd heard of Google Takeout, that's the service we mentioned earlier, which lets people download their information. It was developed by the Data Liberation Front. That's the playful name of a group of engineers whose job is to give users access to their Google data and let them use it any way they want. We are the Data Liberation Front. We've been working hard for the past four years to make it easy for you to take your data out of Google's products. This is a video the Data Liberation team released in 2011, when Google Takeout became available. The team is dressed in a guerrilla-style uniform, and one guy at the front is holding a cardboard takeout box, like the kind you get from Chinese restaurants, and he's pulling things out like a floppy disk, a cassette, a spool of film. It's a great idea, but in practice, the data you can download isn't much use to regular people. The location history is a file with a bunch of numbers and letters representing things like latitude and longitude. So Theo built another website. This one lets people take those incomprehensible files from Google and upload them. Theo's software passes the numbers and letters and up pops a heat map showing where you hang out regularly. When I met Theo at Stanford, he fired up the pro version of his tool to show me the awesome power of this data in a very personal way. All right, so I, I'll do... Yeah, let's pull up yours, I'll right? do mine. I punch in my password, and Theo guides me to the download section of my Google account online. Okay, so we've got a ton of options here, but all we want... Google Play Store. There were 53 different data sets in there. About two-thirds of the way down was my location history. We click that, pick the file format, and press download. After a while, we had the file. So we've just got latitude, longitude, timestamp... They also kind of predict the activities that you're doing at certain time intervals. But so that just kind of goes on. And there's just a lot of data here. Wow. The real magic happened when Theo uploaded that file into his software visualizer. The free version is on a website called locationhistoryvisualizer.com slash heatmap. It's also one of the first results if you do a Google search for something like location history visualizer. Theo uploaded my data, and a digital map appeared covered in blue dots. On Thursday. So there's a snake that goes mm-hmm. up from San Carlos, where I live, just south of San Francisco, and it snakes north. I know exactly what I was doing there. I was walking <laughs> to my dinner appointment. Ali, were any secrets revealed when you saw your data in front of you? Well, the data included one day a week when I worked from home in San Carlos. I know what that was. Okay, so it has me a little further south. Mm-hmm. That is me... Um, Picking up my laundry. Okay. Sorry, boss. I picked up my laundry <laughs> for a few minutes. Yeah. Oh, and I also, actually, you know what? That is also, I met a source for lunch. Okay. That's good. For a story coming out this Wednesday. After work, I'm in the next town over. Yeah. All right. And then we've gone up, we've gone up here into Redwood City. That's amazing. Wow. Just for one day, there were hundreds of data points. And this is just a tiny slice of the information available to you. It was just one of 53 items in that Google takeout list. Looking at the dots conjured emotions immediately. Joy at remembering my friends at movie night. Slight guilt recalling that I nipped out to get the laundry when I should have been at my desk working at home. 
Theo had a similar strong reaction when he saw years of his own activity plotted in excruciating detail in front of him for the first time. I mean, it was just magical, right? Uh, I knew it was going on because I had read that Google tracks your location data. And I had the file, and I looked inside the file and saw a list of latitude and longitude points. But I think seeing that on a map in a very concrete way, like, oh, this is my physical existence navigating through the world for a long period of time. That was the kind of light bulb, like, wow, this is, this is a big chunk of who I am. When he launched the visualizer online, he expected pretty innocent use cases. I mean, he was just a teenager, right? Right. But once people started using the visualizer for their own purposes, Theo realized they had all sorts of use cases in mind that he had never thought about. Fast forward about a year, a guy got in touch with me and was looking to uh, perform a more detailed sort of visualization, right? So you've got the heat map. Can't I see the individual points that were contributing to this heat map? And, uh, and I said, sure. That guy was Bill Carrico the father who wanted to use Google location data to save his daughter Katie from prison. Theo helped Bill and made the more detailed map he was asking for. It became the pro version of his program, and it offers a very precise kind of visualization, often minute by minute. And and the initial reason behind it was for use in kind of a legal case and demonstrating that someone was not at a particular location, but it's since spiraled into all sorts of different uses that I couldn't have thought of initially. That was the impetus for all of this. Bill Carrico believed that his daughter's Google data would convincingly show that she was nowhere near the places where the crimes she was accused of were committed. What the data revealed and what happened to Katie, that's coming up. So Theo's visualizer software, something he'd created as a 15-year-old in response to his own curiosity, was out there in the world. But once he launched the Pro Tool, Theo started seeing all the more sinister ways this data can be used. The ones that I definitely have the most correspondence with are spouses who are very suspicious of their uh, partners for for whatever reason and want to have uh, a closer look at, at where they were. So these people are somehow breaking into their partner's Google accounts to get hold of this data. That's right. And the strangest thing is that they really want to talk to Theo, not just about how the software works, but about their own predicaments. I mean, what type of things do they say? Like just really genuine kind of pleas for help, right? So do you feel like they're, so they, they, they chat with you because they need help with some technical aspect of it, but then, but then do you feel like, they're, they, like they want to tell you about it? That situation, almost? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think they desperately want to tell someone, right? And, uh, and this little chat box on the system that's this magic box, right, that's providing this, I mean, it's like a god, right, to them, because they don't, they don't know that their phone's been recording this. And then maybe they've, they've looked up, like, how can I tell where someone was? Like, they've made a Google search and somehow, step by step, has led them to this. Then there are the use cases that Theo really can't talk about. Police and government agencies investigating people by subpoenaing their Google data and digging through it. The kind of application by uh, different sorts of government entities to, uh, to very particularly track individuals whom they had interest in for different reasons is, uh, is definitely a major, major use of the tool of this location. History. And you didn't think that was going to happen? I guess... If I had sat down and thought about it, I would have. But, uh, 
that wasn't that wasn't really the mindset that I went into it with, right? It was uh, very uh, egalitarian uh, happiness. Everyone's all good. And, you, and but, you, you, how old were you at the time? I was 14, uh, 15? I was fifteen. Yeah, right. that was like a good worldview for a fifteen-year-old. I think I didn't need to have all that baggage. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when I pressed him for more details on these investigations, Theo shared a few general details, enough to give a sense of the awesome power of this information. If they have that enterprise version, then they might they might never call you, or they might if they need help or something. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that the enterprise version does is has various integrations with different sorts of data that you might want to overlay on your on the location history file you have. So let's say you have acquired uh, cell tower records for an individual, and that can be uh, in all sorts of different forms. One of the most common is like a PDF from. Uh, AT&T or whoever that is uh, kind of monotype uh, information. Wow. So we've created kind of parsers for that sort of information where you can then ingest the location history file and the cell tower data and then cross-reference that. So you've got now two points that indicate, two, two pieces of information that indicate it's likely that someone was at a particular place for corroborating. So that firms that up. Right, yeah. Uh, or call and text records, right? So plotting uh, the locations that they were at when they sent particular messages or received particular phone calls. This was the type of capability Bill Carrico was looking to tap. His daughter, a consignment store owner called Katie Carrico Hyatt, was arrested in 2014 on multiple charges related to burglary and receiving stolen goods in Virginia. Deputy Commonwealth's attorney Chuck Felmley says police recovered 415 items from Hyatt's home, vehicle, and shop. He says Hyatt's motive being broke. He says text message records show marital strain between Hyatt and her husband due to financial problems. Bill gathered Katie's Google location history with the goal of helping her get acquitted. When the uh, location history was discovered by Katie, she had just been arrested. She was on house arrest, and she was trying to figure out where these houses were that they accused her of burglarizing. And she'd never even heard of some of the streets and other things. And so she realized that Google had location history files. And so I went looking for somebody and wanted to take that location data and put it in a very specific format. And that's when I found a young man who had a, uh, a tool, and I found another guy in Bulgaria, and I talked to both of them, and uh, I went with the fellow, uh, with Theo. Bill asked Theo to plot it in detail, hoping to prove she wasn't at some of the locations where the police said she was. But there was a problem, according to Katie's lawyer, J. Lloyd Snook. He didn't want to be recorded, but he said in a phone interview that the Google location data in some cases showed exactly what the prosecution claimed. So Snook decided against submitting it as evidence. Theo wouldn't talk about the details of the case, but he did say this. It goes both ways, right? Your location, uh, sometimes it's beneficial to a story you're trying to create, and sometimes it's not beneficial to a story you're trying to create. And I think once you open that can of word, worms, right, once it's submitted for discovery and everything like that, it's, it is now part of you. It's part of your record that you're presenting, and you can't just turn it off. You can't just say, oh, no, never, never mind. Let's, let's not look at this anymore. Katie ended up pleading guilty to grand larceny and breaking and entering, and is currently in prison, serving a sentence of about 20 years. Her father says she's innocent, 
and that the prosecution made mistakes. He's also upset with her lawyer for not doing enough to help her. Bill has been studying all the case files and he's even written to the governor of Virginia to request a pardon. And he's still hoping to use Katie's Google location history to prove her innocence. He says that the police misreported the date of one incident and on that real date in question, the data show Katie wasn't there. And then she said, I saw two women in a car in the driveway and I can use the location tool to show Katie at home on the phone, text messaging that entire morning and it was a morning sighting and we showed Katie's on the phone in her residence on that morning where she couldn't possibly have been the uh, burglar. And that breaks their case wide open. I emailed the prosecutor, Les Fleet, about this. He wrote back calling the cases rock solid and citing eyewitnesses and video footage putting Katie at the scene of the alleged crimes. Bill seems torn about the amount of data available to both sides in his daughter's case. Well, the, if you have people who are out to uh, paint a picture, you can, you can interpret data. Uh, if you can assign motives to people, interpret things any way you want most of the wrongful convictions are where people at a wrong place at a wrong time. I think that there's a lot of uh, uh, downside to having so much information. But if you're an innocent person like Katie, this is absolutely um, the only reason that we are where we are is because that data existed. And we hope to be able to use it to, uh, to prove her innocence. Ali, is it unusual to have Google data show up in investigations like this? Yeah, that's a good question. I wondered how widespread this is after talking with Theo and Bill. So I called Jerome Greco. He's a digital forensics attorney at the Legal Aid Society in New York. Two things. Law enforcement, one, is doing a lot more than the, than they're publicly revealing, even on criminal cases. Uh, and two, I think that they're going to just continually, continue to get more and more advanced and use these things more and more. He had a powerful analogy too, comparing traditional police warrants to search your house with modern requests to probe the contents of your smartphone and online accounts. If I had a choice between somebody searching my home and somebody searching my phone, I would choose my home every single time. Uh, and again, I'm not somebody who, who has something illegal that I'm concerned about, but there's a lot more private and personal information on my phone than there is uh, in my, my house, in my, you know, my apartment. The police can access your Google data if they can persuade a judge there's a good reason. Other government agencies go through similar steps. If they get the OK, the company has to comply. Back at Stanford, Theo was reluctant to discuss Katie's case. But the episode is another source of mixed feelings about the data that his creation has revealed so well. I think at least once, once people realise that this is a reality that we've kind of accidentally stumbled into right there was never any big like public decision like let's do it let's let's all record our locations at all times and give them to this private company and just let's just do it right that was not that was not something that happened google maps has just gotten smarter we can when you're home we'll uh we'll tell you you know how far it is to work right that was how this was all presented and and i think the uh the steps that kind of led to that were a lot murkier in a lot of people's minds and it was like Google Maps is so great, man. It always tells me when, how far my commute is to work. Like, this is awesome. I know what to do. But, but what's the cost of that? I think people right now 
broadly don't have an accurate sense of the cost and so they can't really weigh the benefit against that. It just seems like all benefits. But in fact, there are these costs and we need to kind of consider is this, is this a cost we want to pay or, or what? Google says it fights data requests that are overly broad. It's also important to point out that the specific location data product that we're talking about is something that you have to opt into. However, that's easy to do because Google often sends pop-up questions when you're using its apps, suggesting location data would make the service better. And their services are really useful, so most of the time we end up clicking yes. Do you feel any different about the location data or any other information on your phone? So, I guess for me, I know it's there. I know I've opted into it. I know it will probably reveal things about me. And I neither want to delete it, nor do I want to look at it and see what it says. Yeah, I think think I'm pretty torn. I I certainly feel seeing, seeing that data put in front of me on on that map in in so much detail uh it, it, re- it really gives you a sense of um you know how people can peer into your life actually um we, we didn't include this but jerome uh, was saying that it's a good example would be something like you know if you go to church every sunday and you go to a particular church you know they'd have the latitude and longitude of that and you know if people got a hold of that that they they you know they'd be able to say well you're you're religious and you actually believe in this type of religion and maybe you know, maybe you don't want people to everyone to know about that and yet maybe there's a lag in civil society when it comes to learning about our data and what its value is and all the different ways that it can be used. And inevitably, there will be more ways that it can be used that we haven't even thought of yet. But as as we move forward in time, and as we all become more savvy about what can be done with data, I'm sure there will be other use cases, like the one that Theo created, and many others. Yeah, actually, Theo raised one final concern on that point of consent and opting in or opting out. And I hadn't really thought about it, but but I really can't shake it now that he's mentioned it. I think one of the biggest concerns is kind of not even now, right? But it's thinking 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, this data still exists, right? The data that you create now is data and it persists indefinitely. You know, 200 years from now, I don't know. what. What, what's, it being, what's it being used for? The delayed utility of this data that we're not aware of now. Maybe it's good, and maybe it helps you, or maybe it really hurts you, but you don't know. And has Theo ever shut off his own location data on Google? Yes, he admitted to flipping the switch for a couple of months once, but he was pretty cagey about it. It's kind of tough to talk about, right? Or, it's, or I don't exactly know why I did it, almost. It was just, I want, uh, maybe I don't want this because I just had passively opted in to it my entire life. Like, let me consciously opt out and, and see what that's like, because it's a little unnerving thinking about it. And then ultimately, I think I turned it back on because it was, uh, it was a little part of me, right? And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you have a story about Google or internet data, send us an email at decrypted at Bloomberg.net or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Alistair M. Barr. And I'm at Pia Gadkari. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, I hope you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review. 
It does so much to get us in front of new listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gedkari, Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. Special thanks to Brad Stone, Aki Ito, Anne van der May and Emily Busso. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. <laughs>